Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Coco Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with the homie, Sean Dross. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Good morning, Sean. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. I'm feeling kind of nutty right now. I hope it doesn't go too wild because I was up all night with my little baby boy, Pax, seven uh-huh. months old, and he's sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were telling me about that. He's a beautiful baby. Yeah. He's so I'm sorry cute. he's sick. <laughs> um, I cook on Monday morning. We believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. And so uh, Sean and I have been friends for at least five years. And um, his story is really incredible. He started and built a bunch of various businesses, all of which I want to get into. And uh, I appreciate you coming, man. It's a pleasure to be here. What You have a unique perspective as a founder because a lot of people come to this town looking to build a company, and one of the aspirational goals is to sell it, and and you've done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, Me and my two best friends from college started a school for computer programmers called Hack Reactor and sold it uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Hack Reactor, you know, was called the Harvard of coding schools. <laughs> that was that was uh, that was our marketing. A funny story about that that that, that came from a, a piece of press, and it was a quote from a hire, uh, employer that hired some of our grads. Mm-hmm. But that guy was just a big fan, and he was like, "What do you guys want me to say?" <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. Well, that, uh, it, it, it caused steam. What 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 was Hack Reactor? So uh, Hack Reactor it was and still is <clears throat> a school for computer programmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, our normal student was like twenty five to thirty five. Uh, about three quarters had some kind of uh, college level degree, but usually not in software. And uh, and people wanted to learn to code and get a job. And it turns out that's a field where you don't actually need to have a relevant college degree um, because learning to code, uh, because programming is, is kind of like speaking uh, like Spanish or something like you can interview someone and find out if they can do it, you know? And so you can progress into that, that job market without a relevant degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so we taught people the skills, we taught people to be able to get through those interviews and to be able to be productive in those jobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, over the course of the years that we ran the school, taught about 4,000 people to code and help them uh, get their first jobs. And uh, yeah, it works and still is a great uh, area of opportunity for anybody who's listening, who's interested in software or interested in building things. Like if you love Legos or if you love fixing things or if you love like creating things and kind of working on puzzles, Mm -hmm. it's like a great field to go into and there's still a lot lot of opportunity there. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I when I heard about that, I heard that Galvanize just got bought too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Earlier this week, um, the company that bought Galvanize bought Hack Reactor. Go yeah. Ahead. <laughs> Galvanize bought a Hack Reactor, and then uh, earlier this week, um, uh, uh, Galvanize got bought um, by a, a a public company called K Twelve. Right. Yeah. Uh, and a funny story about that is that uh, way back in the day. Um, Hack Reactor bought this little tiny school called Maker Square, hmm. um, and along the way, the CEO of Maker Square became the CEO of Hack Reactor, 
and then became the CEO of Galvanize. <laughs> and so whoever's the CEO of K12 right now, just watch watch out is all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, well, Harsh is probably going to go be the CEO of K12. Oh, got it, got it. Oh, so they come for everyone. Oh, got it. Okay. Makes sense. So so what was Hack, Hack Reactor purchased for? Uh, it, it, it was about $20 million. Okay. Yeah. And what was Galvanize purchased for? About a hundred and... Was it 160, something like that? 160 million. Yeah. All right. Now you talked about you and your friends founding the company. What was that initial conversation like? What happened? Well, what was the initial conversation? I can't really remember like exactly where it started, but um, I guess when things really got started, it wasn't about a company. It was about um, me and Marcus were teaching Tony to code, mm-hmm. and you know he was this really smart guy who was sort of like in college, he was on a pre med path. Um, but then he like volunteered at a hospital and was like, wait a second, doctors don't like their jobs. Mm. I don't want to be a doctor. And so then he was like, uh, you know, kind of bounced around, like did a Fulbright. He was a really smart guy. Um, and uh, eventually we were like, Tony, you should be a programmer because this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just like get to uh, like make stuff all day in sort of like invisible puzzles and uh, the money is good. And like you get to like, if you, it's kind of there, there's a little bit of creative aspects to it, and like it's a lot of fun. If you if you if you get into it, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we 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 taught him to code and helped him get his first job. And then uh, at some point, we uh, saw there was this really s- steep rise of these kinds of schools, uh, the coding boot camps. There was um, this little one out east in DC um, and then another one in San Francisco that Tony went to and he went there kind of like as a finishing school and he was ended up kind of basically being a teacher there uh, Mm. at first like for his class and then he officially got hired um, and then uh, for a lot of reasons he wound up uh, not staying there and moved into uh, and then we all just decided to start school together. Mm -hmm. And so was the three of you initially that Started Hack Reactor. Well, it was uh, it was the three of us plus our buddy Doug, um, who uh, Tony had met uh, in the other school, and which was called Dev Boot Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it was the four of us mm-hmm. that started Hack Reactor. What year was this? This was 2012. Okay. Yeah. And so, how did it start? Like you you get you rent a space. Like what what was you recruited students? What would that what did that first class look like? Uh, well, how did it look? so we we were talking about. Uh, so it was a really funny period um, to, and fun, really fun period and like fun to look back on. But we, we kind of started by just picking a day like this is when the first day of classes are going to be. And then we uh, and we picked a day that if I remember correctly, it was seven weeks from that from the day that we were starting. We we're like first day of classes in seven weeks. Hmm. Uh, and we were like, OK, so we put up a website that said like first day of classes on this date um, and uh, and you can apply here. And we didn't even have a like a price on the website or a location or anything. Hmm. Um, we were just a website. And what we had was, and we, we had this ironclad, is that me and Marcus were hiring managers. We knew exactly what it took to get through the interview process. Hmm. Uh, and we were working at good companies. Marcus was at Twitter. I was at OkCupid. Mm-hmm. And um, we knew how to teach. We could. We, we had been tutors and, and teachers and like had, and we had just taught Tony and we had, hmm. We knew what what to, what it would take, and we knew how to get there. Marcus was running uh, like an internal learning program at Twitter, um, so 
we knew all that. We, we launched the website um, and we just emailed everyone we knew. And then um, what really got us probably three quarters of our attention was we launched on Hacker News, um, which is a little like website that computer programmers, it's, st it's still popular among computer programmers. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so from there we got, I don't know, like 300 or 400 email addresses. And then we just like go and meet with everyone we can and like get coffee and, and talk to them about code and try and see where they were. Mm -hmm. And if they already knew like 5% of the material and then liked it, then we said basically you're in. And mm -hmm. we tried to convince them to join up with us. And um, so that was kind of like how we went about talking to uh, students and finding our first class. And in that way we kind of gradually assembled a class of like 17. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really funny uh, because, you know, every, it was like, is like a train kind of going down these tracks and you're just sort of like running along, putting the track out in front of the train. Like uh, one day somebody was like, okay, I mean, I'm ready to send a check in. Who do I make the check out to? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I, I, was, I literally walked on the street and there was a law office mm -hmm. and I went in the front door of a law office <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I need a uh, company. <laughs> I was like, one company, please. <laughs> uh, I need a bank account. I think to get a bank account, I need a company. And I know I can file the paperwork myself, uh, but this was uh, a, a firm called WSGR. And, mm -hmm. I, and I knew that they did a lot of uh, startup companies and I knew that we might want to raise investment one day. Um, so I was like, I want to do it right and I don't want to mess up mm -hmm. the incorporation. So we, uh, you know, that's how we got our first bank account is just like, we needed to cash a check. So we uh, needed a company. So then we went and incorporated by walking into the law office off the street. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, everything was like that, you know, we. Uh, we had a really good like roadmap of what their curriculum would look like, but we only had maybe like a week or 10 days worth of curriculum when, when the first day of class started. And then after that ran out, like it was just stay up until two, three, four in the morning every night and, mm. and you're the next day ready. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was ridiculous, but also extremely fun. That first class is just like full of great people and, you know, still friends with those people to this day. And, um, uh, two of them kind of dropped out along the way, uh, uh, and one of them deferred to the next class, but the other 14, um, got jobs within three months. I want to say it was probably more like two months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So was that, that 12 week, um, school, the model when it first started or was it shorter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, it was, uh, 12 weeks long, six days a week, um, really long hours, mm -hmm. uh, and really, we kind of like set ourselves up from the start as like, there were, there were at this point already like four or five different coding boot camps, And there was like the original one and there was the free one, the one where you don't pay tuition until later. And we were like, we're gonna be the like, the, the one that, the serious one, the, 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 uh, the, the one that really strives for like more depth of learning, the quality one basically. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the one that like the really, the students who really want to go far and, and set themselves up for success uh, try and uh, apply for and kind of like the first choice. Mm -hmm. So we had that in mind from the start. And um, that was, uh, uh, that worked really well for us. Mm -hmm. um, and we got lots of great students and, uh, and you know, there's 
just a lot of magic that happens in a classroom when you can like get good peers together and they can learn from each other. It's so beautiful. I mean, you know this. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I love stories about how things start because I think um, it helps break down uh, some apprehension or perceived barriers because you, you, you hear like, oh, you know, I sold a company for $20 million and the, but you don't necessarily hear, oh yeah, me and my friends taught another friend. We walked into a law office, you know, but yeah. what, what I don't want to... Um, we we're friends like we're actually like really friends right <laughs> and uh what and i want people to get to know you a little bit because the you know the person in, like the the person i've gotten to know is mostly is really interested in solving problems like making their community better uh being there for people it's not flash and pizzazz is like uh just diligent and interested in seeing things work better and so I want to get into you a little bit and then come back to the business stuff. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I was born on Kauai and I lived there until I was eight. And then I uh, moved to Oahu. I mostly lived on Oahu um, until I was, in, I went to college in LA and moved back and lived there for a while. And uh, yeah, just, just really still love Hawaii so much, but um I was really uh, interested and oriented towards like my work, and I was interested in software, and um, and I I like had these occasions to come out to the bay for that, and for me it was just so exciting because you know if you're if you're into something uh, to to walk into the mecca of that place and to walk in like to be able to be alive and present for like the golden age of that happening mm-hmm. for me it was like like being a, a painter in Florence in, in, you know, the, the Renaissance, it was like, wow, mm. wow, look at this. This mm-hmm. is so amazing. How can I like be a part, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I moved to the Bay, um, a, a, a lot later, but yeah, I, I, I loved being a kid in Hawaii man. and my, my, uh, my family was like so rooted there and it was so beautiful. And my parents moved there because they were hippies basically. And they, like they met over there and lived there for 40 years and raised kids there. And, um, I still, I still go back as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and what did your parents do? My mom was a teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. she, uh, she is, she taught every, every which grade. Um, she taught, uh, all the way from pre-K. She used to play guitar for her little, uh, for her preschool kids. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, she taught like uh, special ed or what was then called special ed. I think that's yes, still, yeah. It's still, mm-hmm. oh. uh, and she taught pregnant teens. She taught uh, high school and middle school. She taught everything. Um, and my dad was a construction worker. Um, he was a um, he was a sa- um, like safety guy, safety administrator, mm-hmm. um, and built stuff. Yeah. yeah. Where'd you go to college? I went to USC, okay. uh, University of Southern California. Okay. Yeah. And am I remembering correctly? Did you do the Peace Corps? No. What? What did you? You something lived? like that. Okay, um, so I moved to Guatemala after college, um, and just decided to like uh, try and set up some kind of. I guess now it would be called a social enterprise, um, mm-hmm. or uh, I, w- I thought of it as a nonprofit at the time. Um, uh, it was kind of like Etsy, but I was like just trying to hook up just people who make stuff there. There's a really beautiful culture of like uh, handmade textiles and like all of this like really cool 
uh, creation. And there's like all this like awesome pre-Columbian fashion mm. and everything that just survived intact in the mountains and is still there to this day. Um, mm. You can go hang out with people that walk around just like rolling with these like cr crazy, beautiful handwoven shirts and dresses and everything. Uh, and right. so, yeah, I went and tried to wire up like credit card payments and marketing and shipping, uh, actually with Tony, who I later started Hack Reactor with. Okay. okay. Um, and that was just such a wild experience. And, um, uh, and it was really formative for me in terms of like connecting my interest in just like being useful and like contributing and like trying to plug something in. It really kind of turned me towards, uh, turned my like interest in helping people and being like a contributor towards like basically business. Mm -hmm. um, and like, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was just really strange and surprising to me to, to like be nudged every day while doing that work towards like, you know what, you actually have to be a middleman. That wasn't my intention, but for a lot of logistical reasons, in order to accomplish the outcome and the benefits of the people that I wanted, I had to actually take ownership of the, uh, you know, of the, the product, mm -hmm. um, in order to ship it, in order to be able to, uh, market it appropriately in order to be able to like take photographs of it and then put it on the website and to make sure it would still be there when people wanted to buy it and so on. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so there were all these different things and so that was pretty formative in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and also learned Spanish and, uh, just like learned a lot about, uh, life and being, growing up in an entrepreneur right yeah because that's 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 a bit unorthodox like someone graduates from college and there's all these expectations to find the job maybe if you have debt pay down debt um, yeah and then you moved out of the country yeah um well i had uh i don't know how this happened exactly but like my parents didn't have a lot of money i was on financial aid mm -hmm. um but somehow it wound about and i was like working i had work study and i was like earning money as much as i could all the way through college um but like for some reason and i think it was because my sister and i were in at, in college at the same college at the same time somehow like that benefited us in terms of financial aid and i wound up graduating from college with like four thousand bucks in a bank account mm -hmm. um and that actually goes really far in, you know, uh, most of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was, and then, so I was able to like move abroad and just like live on the cheap and like just work in a little internet cafe for uh, many months. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, that money ran out and I just, I, I had a credit card where they like, uh, uh, like a thousand dollar limit. I called them and got them to change it to 3000. I just <laughs> took it out in cash. <laughs> so then I stayed a few more months. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that was, that was how I managed that and, and did that before I did that. I had interviewed and gotten a job at Chevron <laughs> <laughs> and turned it down. I was uh -huh. still wondering what life would have been like uh, if I go yeah. that guy that way, that would have been a whole different path. Right. I'm glad I didn't. Uh -huh. What was the job at Chevron? software engineering. Uh -huh. They have this like really amazing, beautiful, like data visualization room. Mm -hmm. Um, if it like, uh, uh, now of course I know where that whole industry and chapter leads in terms of like the health of the planet. Right, right. And, uh, but if it wasn't for that, like the, uh, the, the like incredible, uh, like technical challenges and like the incredible, uh, 
resources that they spend on like, you know, doing all this like mapping and visualization and like sensing and uh, crazy science that they do. It's all really interesting and cool. It's just such a shame that it's being used to destroy things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, when I came out of college, like the, the idea was I had to try to find a comfortable living uh-huh. and you, you look for that and you look for some sort of validation from the company and the salary that you have. Right. I'm, I'm, I imagine that Chevron wants to be competitive. They're going to offer their software engineers a competitive salary. Um, but you said, forget that. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take my $4,000 and bet myself <laughs> and go to a country where I don't speak the language. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I had a lot of benefits. Uh, and then the number one thing that I don't really remember what I was thinking. The time. Yeah. I was, what did that, what did that come from? Can you, can you, I would, I would say like the more? main benefit that I had, uh, was, was just the knowledge that like I knew how to program and that was an extremely employable skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a giant safety net in that, in that form. And then also I have, you know, like the, I don't remember thinking about this a lot, but I'm, I know it's a part of like, uh, my mindset. I had like this awesome family that if I needed to go crash on my parents' couch, uh, that was always kind of an option, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, but I would, I, I can't remember why or how I thought or realized it was possible to do that. I don't know. Just went, just so, went for it. Yeah. So it's not, were you there seven months or a year? How long were you down there? Yeah, about a year. Okay. So a year, then you come back. Where do you where do you land? I, w- I went back to Hawaii and started working at. I just interviewed in at, for every programming job in in on Oahu. There's not that many of them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I eventually got a job um, building a social network at this nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. um, and stayed there for about a year. Started doing contracting work on the side that wound up being just kind of a better gig, mm-hmm. um, and then I. Did contracting work for the next like three years or so. Okay. And yeah. what brought you to San Francisco? Well, I would come here every now and then because of like kind of basically just work uh, conferences. So there would be um, the event that comes to mind first is um, Startup School. There was this event called Startup School that was run uh, by this investment firm called Y Combinator. And they uh, get together like, this ex- this like buzzing room of like exciting excited people and uh, you know you just sort of like hang out with all these people that are interested in what you're into and get to like talk about the future and what what are you working on what are you using how are you making stuff like what are your techniques and you guys like go back and apply it mm-hmm. um, and you uh, and all all kinds of fun stuff happen I. Uh, at the time, I went to an after party of, of, of a startup school, and there was this. It was at this like little loft that, you know, I was like talking to the people that lived there, and and there there's these like really gangly dudes, and they're like, "Yeah, our company is called Airbnb, and it's like <laughs> blah blah blah." And then, mm-hmm. I, and it was just you know, it was just the three of them at that point or something, you know. And, and, I, and I remember saying like, "What a bad idea it was." <laughs> 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 which is something I reflect back on a lot. <laughs> Whenever I'm about to tell someone I don't like their idea, I'm always preface it with like, you know, just like caveat here. My ideas are often wrong. And I said some, I, you know, anyway, so, uh, you have some right ones. too. 
<laughs> you, got, you got a couple right ones. You got yeah. a lot of wrong ones. Um, so, you know, it was really fun, like, uh, getting together with all these people um, and and getting excited about all these uh, different technologies and directions and developments and, you know, opportunities that you could build something new. And mm -hmm. it was just a lot of uh, excitement. Um, and I think that uh, there was a really bright and positive energy to those days that I think is like very different now. Um, people didn't really comprehend or uh or expect that like there would be a lot of complications or downsides of any of this stuff it just seemed like oh great we can invent some new stuff and uh and you know like that was there was just so much like naivete and uh and hubris and all this other stuff going on mm -hmm. also but um you know like at the time it was just really exciting and so that was what what drew me in this direction that and the fact that like uh, I think the thing that pushed me over the edge, I knew a bunch of people here too. And one day Marcus, who I eventually started Hack Reactor with, called me and Tony up and he was like, all right guys, let's get the band back together. Let's like move in together in a place mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You know, we had kind of been talking about moving, like I had, I had been talking about moving to San Francisco from Hawaii. Tony was teaching English in Korea at the time, or actually he was, he was running a school. <laughs> I left that part of the story out, but uh -huh. he was running a, a language immersion school uh, okay. <laughs> at the time in Korea. Applicable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so Marcus called us and he was like, I'm I'm getting the band back together. Let's do it. Let's do this. And so we all moved in about a block and a half from here on Oak Street. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Oak Street there's okay. Yeah. Okay. And then how long after that was Hack Reactor started? What year was that? Uh, that was 2011. Okay. So it wasn't long after that. It was like a year and change after that, that Hack Reactor, that we started Hack Reactor. Yeah. And you saw Hack Reactor in 2018 or 19? 18, yeah. 2018. Yeah. And um, and so we met, like one of the things I sometimes do is like tell about the story about how I met people, you know? Uh-huh. And so this, the, the founding of Mission Bit comes through Hack Reactor. The founder of Hack, of Mission Bit uh, was a student at Hack Reactor. His name is Tyson. Tyson. Uh, Tyson uh, Dowdery. And Tyson lived in the mission. Uh, he, had, he had this idea of wanting to do a nonprofit, but didn't know what. He wanted to change careers. He came to Hack Reactor. And after Hack Reactor, he was like, oh, I want to have a free program for kids that teaches coding. And so when I met Tyson, I met Tyson in 2014, um, yeah, two years after your school started. And it was just a volunteer-run organization. And so I met Tyson on Twitter. Like I was running for school board and I was talking to a lot of schools about, you know, talking to a lot of kids about learning how they, learning to build the games they love to play. Mm. And all the kids I was meeting would like flip out. They were super excited about that idea, like learning how to build the games they love to play. Yeah. And so I started to reach out to organizations that were doing it and Mission Bit was the one I found on Twitter. And so, um, you're kind of how I got to Mission Bit through it, in an indirect way. <laughs> well, Tyson's how, how you got to Mission well, I mean, Bit. Well, yeah, I mean, all these things build on each other. Yeah. And, and I think one of the great things, too, just about telling these stories on this podcast is that like people hear these stories and then it, they could be trying something to spark something new and then they go off and do something. But you always have to give credit where credit is due. I still you know? find that so beautiful. And like we, we, um, one of the things that was really excited, exciting to us about starting the school and um, and kind of what it would look like and, and how it would work is the kinds of like crazy like this. 
person bounces off this idea and then like suddenly this thing happens and like and we we named the school and we thought about this like from the start uh and like that was always really exciting for us and that's why we called it hack reactor is this idea of like a chain reaction and like get everyone together and like boom like Mm -hmm. suddenly something like crazy and unexpected happens Mm -hmm. um and there were so many so many fun uh stories like that and i just love that mission bit came out came out of that you know i'm just so grateful that like we wound up being able to be a part and like that like Tyson was able to like take what he learned and all of his like bright, beautiful spirit and then like make mission bit a thing. Mm-hmm. How cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was him, it was Tyson and like a few volunteers and they had started a program or two at different high schools. So it was still, it wasn't a budget. They just had, it was just passion. Yeah. It was passion for coding. Right. And uh, we, from there, uh, you know, Tyson soon stepped away after I started, and from there we um, took Mission Bit across the city and into Oakland, and mm-hmm. um, and you took Hack Reactor all over the state, right? All over the country. We okay. um, we had. Oh, excuse me. All over the country. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. Uh, yeah, we 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 were up and running in uh, San Francisco, L.A., Austin, New York. Um, and at, at our high water mark, we went through some ups and then later some downs. But at our high water mark, we we had uh, we we were up and running in uh, in Chicago as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we had an online school. We had uh, several hundred people go through the an online version of the program. This just you sit in front of a video camera Monday to Saturday uh, all day long every day and mm-hmm. uh, and like. That was an, a whole nother fun chapter of the the program. That's where like all these like parents and people out in like uh, non tech hubs would like join up and like be able to be a part uh, in from some totally far off different context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wanna um, I wanna get into housing while I have you. Yeah, I know, I know you care a lot about housing. Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. I mean, yeah. it's so. Uh, before I do that, before, before we go on house, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just setting it up. I know, I know. <laughs> I want to let you rip. <laughs> and so, uh, because I think there's an interesting juxtaposition around. Okay, you're a tech founder. The association around housing being so um, limited is because of the influx of tech mm-hmm. and your mindset on housing is about like people it's about like getting people housed so i'm gonna let you do it right but you also built a house and and it's my my close to say i love san francisco but i love new orleans oh my god (laughs) let's get into new orleans and so um when people talk about different issues you know they i I just want to say that you have the experience of actually building a home so talk about what that talk about New Orleans and let's talk about housing. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I didn't actually, I, I, I thought I you and your dad built the, go ahead. No, I, I, I couldn't build anything that beautiful. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so um, I left a couple chapters out, but at a different point in my life, I was a musician and I was on tour with my friend who's a singer songwriter uh, in Portland. And <clears throat> we played shows all across the country, all, all across, all around, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had a few shows in New Orleans and we were like, this is the best city. Mm-hmm. This is the number one city. This is the most beautiful, soulful, incredible place mm-hmm. with just like so much energy and interaction and, uh, and good community everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were like, we got to come back here. 
Um, and then one day, like five years later, um, my friend moved there. Uh, and she was like, Sean, let's, um, let's, uh, let's like get, let's somehow, let's somehow like make a writer's residency and like bookstore and coffee shop happen here. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and it was me and her and her sister and uh, this other partner. Um, and uh, they went out and found a house that was for sale that had been abandoned for like six years or something. I want to say this was, anyway, this was like, uh, it, it had been abandoned since Katrina. Um, it had uh, like holes in the roof, like a lot of water damage, but really good like bones to the house. Um, and you could just see how beautiful it was. And like, um, like the, the kind of like construction and like the kind of quality of materials and everything, like you can't do that today. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not possible anymore. Those trees aren't standing anymore. Mm. And so we uh, we bought this house. We were one of the two offers to buy this house. Um, the other one was the CVS was going to turn it into a parking lot. Oh, whoa. <laughs> um, and they actually outbid us by $50,000. <clears> but the family decided that they didn't want it to be a parking lot. Right. And they wanted to make, they, they wanted to, um, they, they met us and understood what our intentions were. And they liked that. And that was more important to them, um, which I think is just another one of the million things that makes New Orleans what it is, you know, is that mm -hmm. people actually care about what they're doing and about that they have a sense of place, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so what's the name of the writing residency? It's, it's called the New Orleans Writers Residency. Okay. <laughs> you can go check it out. There's uh, six residents over there right now, um, just like jamming on whatever they're working on. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually going out to visit and meet up with those folks um, this weekend. and. Mm -hmm. What's the, and what what ward is it in in New Orleans? It's it's in Ninth Ward. It's in the Ninth Ward. Yeah. And so uh, you. I'm so sorry, you, Seventh Ward. Seventh Ward. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's a great neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, so you start. So you bought a home in the Seventh Ward, uh, renovated it, and opened it and opened a writing residency. Yeah. What is the program for the writing residency look like? So it's a month long, uh, and there's it's really about uh, uh, giving people space and time uh, to write. It's like, there's not a lot of programming and complications to it. it, was, it was like, we put out breakfast every morning. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like, we, we kind of organize like one or two events a week. Mm -hmm. um, this time around, actually the writers are doing a little bit of teaching. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and like, there's a couple of different occasions for them to uh, meet up with and, learn from and teach to the, the like incredible local scene. Um, and, uh, but other than that, you know, it's just space and time and we give them a stipend to, um, to just write, uh, for a month straight. Nice. And, uh, we, we put out, we open up applications in like June and then, uh, close them in September and then read like 300 essays mm -hmm. and then pick out six, six people. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, poets, screenwriters, playwrights, mm -hmm. uh, fiction of all stripes, yeah. creative nonfiction. Um, what I think sets us apart, there's a lot of residency programs, um, and they can often be like, uh, I didn't know very much about writer's residencies. The idea makes immediate sense to me as a person who has a really difficult time focusing. <laughs> um, so... I didn't need any more explanation than those two words mm -hmm. when Kat first started talking to me about it. But I looked into it uh, since then. I've learned about like what residencies are like. They're often th these very like 
expensive, formal, uh, credential-oriented affairs. And that was just not at all how we roll. Um, mm -hmm. And that was just not how we set it up. Um, so we are pretty intentional about um, like not the, uh, about half of our residents ha wind up having MFAs, um, and the other half don't. And there's like a really wide mix of people. We, we set it up as a stipend and no fee um, residency mm -hmm. um, because we wanted to like make it accessible to, depending like to people that couldn't take a month off and not have any money coming in. We know at least they're going to be able to like get food going, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and cover some basics, and we cover transport uh, to and from. Right. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we uh, eventually launched the residency. I think we spent like three years trying to restore the house, um, and you know went about it. I. I uh, you know, me and my dad uh, and my my mom and you know all the all the partners were out there like with hammer and nails and uh, we had to rebuild about a quarter of the roof uh, and then like re-roof re everything and there's a lot of um, a lot of demolition to be done and then the place felt like a squat for like two years mm. uh, and then you know little by little we got. We made a lot of missteps, made a lot of progress, and then one day you kind of like close up the walls. You put up the uh, you put up the uh, drywall in the room that we had to knock the plaster out, and then suddenly everything was like it was like uh, at that point you can like clean the floors and like surface the floors because you're not doing any more of the work that's going to ruin that. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's just like the quality and and uh, and like amazingly beautiful materials of the place just popped out and now it just feels like this incredible like trip into like a, a <laughs> what is I've, I've heard it called like I, I've done a lot of video conferences in in the place and so mm -hmm. like you know I'll be I'll be working from there uh and like somebody will say like where are you is that like a bordello or is that like a <laughs> where are, are you in a cigar club are you in a uh. like just kind of um you know New Orleans has a lot of the, those like uh, turn of the century kind of right. uh, luxury, like weird curtains, like heavy everything. I don't know. And everything is, uh, it, it's really beautiful in there now. Uh, mm -hmm. We put in a, like a custom bookshelf and like it has really good, um, it has a really good vibe now. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, I, I wanted you to tell that story because I think that does get behind the spirit that you think about housing. It's like, let's, Let's restore. Let's make something that's value add. Let's keep people, you know. Um, let's get people here that like want to be here. It's not like how how do I make a quick buck? You yeah. Know? And so now housing in, in the Bay Area. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know, man. It's just so. Uh, what do you say? I mean, I moved here. I moved to to San Francisco what eight or nine years ago now or something, and um even by then people it was an expensive place to live it was either the second most or the already the most expensive place to live in the country um and since then things have just gone up 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 it's just so crazy and uh and and like even at the late date i arrived i i, I watched so many beautiful things get pushed out of the city and so much like uh, thriving, longstanding, uh, 
you know, centers of place and culture um, and, and people with deep roots, like just not fit here anymore. Um, and it's really dire. And so I'm, I'm really sad about that. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't feel like anybody knows what to do about that or has any kind of like, I don't, I don't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that seems like a good idea. I also have to admit a certain amount of ignorance is not my field. Uh, and I don't know too much about it, but it seems to me like that we should probably build some more houses and we should probably have, um, better, uh, like we should probably be doing about 10 times more work about displacement and like, uh, helping keep like all these deep rooted, beautiful old trees of, uh, institutions, uh, give them the tools and opportunities to like, remain in place um and like uh all the people that make this place what it is like it's mm -hmm. so sad to see all that getting pushed out um mm -hmm. and then you know it goes across the bridge and the same thing's happening in oakland now and mm -hmm. then uh or it has been um i don't know i mean i'm really sad about it and it's something that i care about a lot and i thought about um working on that next i'm probably heading in a different direction but mm. um but yeah. I don't know. I, I, I remain an interested spectator and I'm like, there's this thing happening right now in California politics, SB 50. I don't know how much you heard about that, but mm -hmm. I'm wait. I'm, I'm like, I'm a big fan of it. I moved to Berkeley um, with my wife. She's a Berkeley girl. Mm -hmm. um, and like, there's a, there's a big thing going on right now about uh, building housing over the parking lots at the North Berkeley Bart and Ashby Bart. And um, mm -hmm. I live in, I live near the North Berkeley Bart and I'm like, really uh rallied behind that and i don't know just the the way that we the way that we organize the city and the way that um the way that we do things i mean to me seems like a really big experiment that i don't know I, I don't think it doesn't seem like it's doing good stuff like the the, the way that we organize the city like the, in order to build something in order to like uh you know the people people moving here are, are, uh, are trying to find a place to live. And, and it's really hard for developers to put up new stuff for people moving here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of any mechanism to prevent people from moving here. And I, if we don't build stuff for like, to absorb the like newcomers, then I don't know how to prevent the economic pressure from like squeezing people out. So I think, um, I don't know. I don't know too much about this stuff, but it's certainly something that everybody in the city is just heartbroken by to see what's happening and like to see the level of uh, economic hardship that it puts on basically everyone who's not hella rich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of interesting dynamics too, because I know because this place is, because housing is so expensive, it's attractive to a lot of people that have money to, it, there's multiple things happening at once, right? Because affordability, and displacement uh, needs to be a top priority of the city, and so we it's mostly talked about as a, as a supply issue. Like how do we solve for supply? Um, but if we add more supply and it's bought up by a few people that have the money, and then they try to rent it out, it's just like there there are some um, there's some blocking and tackling that needs to happen to ensure that the housing we build goes to the people that we're looking to get it and. So that requires, I would say, some interventions that you know understand the market, but are 
trying to support long-term residents that want to own here or people that have displaced that want to come back. And this, when someone is developing a, a project, you know, there's a lot of cost involved. There's a lot of financing and they're trying to get a return. Yeah. And so these, there's these different interests at play. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to what you said about like, uh, there's a lot of focus on supply. I think you're right. I think it's probably like a little too much focus on the supply and it's so important. So, I mean, I love it that there's progress being made. I think that probably more focus should be put in like better uh, programs around like, how do you prevent and undo displacement? I mean, I, I don't really know the all, I don't know the answers, but um, I, I think you're right. It's like, the, it's, not, it's not as simple as just like, build some more condos, build some more apartment buildings. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, yeah, so th- that's happening. Like, But then there's also a, a huge resistance to new projects in long-standing neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and um, you know, and so, and so the residents that have been here, like, you know, my, my grandmother, my grand, my, my family's been here since the late 1940s. Yeah. And, um, the increased density, you know, for for a longstanding black family, right? Uh-huh. Uh We haven't seen density result in more diversity, right? Like we've seen a city that intentionally pushed out the black community, right? Made way for um, developers to make a lot of money. I don't feel like any piece was made of that. I don't feel like that story is really widely known or told. I feel like that's just so sad and horrifying. Like everything that happened with all of I mean, we don't even have a new word to call what was called urban renewal, but I mean, like we need something that sounds more like Holocaust. I mean, it's so awful. Like, and yeah, you mentioned that, uh, that like the longstanding communities that like see density and where that always goes is those like communities that don't have the political sway. And so you see all of the big uh, buildings going in those like historically, underrepresented or like disenfranchised voters or whatever um like you know the mission is is has gone has gone way built up um and so like everything yeah i mean i i don't uh i think that like keeping uh equity at the at the heart of how that happens is like is gonna happen um i think that like long-standing residents i mean I, I'm I'm not in a position, or I'm not, and I'm not competent to know like how the compromises should be made. Like, and I think the longstanding residents that uh, are going to get impacted by density, like, I don't know how that should work. Um, uh, but uh, from what I can tell, like the, the like uh, the density uh, does decrease displacement. And what you said about it doesn't really like bring a more diverse crowd around. Like it doesn't make the city uh, more diverse in terms of the newcomers. I agree with that, and I don't really, uh, I don't really know how the dynamics of, of cities do or should work. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all well, mystery it, to me. It, it hasn't, it hasn't in this place. And and but if the policy were or could be, how do we resolve that? And one one I think low hanging fruit way to achieve that is to you know, create programs where like the public sector has pathways to ownership in the city. And so mm. if you look at muni drivers, 
a lot of them are black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's one of the homeowners, sure. yeah. <laughs> like my dad is one of them, right? right? And I have my first cousin. I have a lot of cousins that are muni drivers. Yeah. And so I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. And for our paraeducators that, and you know, and you, you've, you've seen a lot of the school district now. Yeah. The and now you have a kid. Is. And so you're going to see a lot more of how schools work. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, pathways for educators, pass, path, like all, all of the workforces that we know have been committed to the city and that will be committed here. Yeah. They, and you know we saw multiple we saw multiple problems at once if if density is has them in mind yeah i think um people uh i think people like have a lot of mistrust about the government for reasons that i don't know i don't know what to think about it but one thing i can say about the the government at this in, in this city and kind of in general is that they're doing so much more serious work about equity and like doing so much better on that front in terms of like hiring and uh, and and pay and like supporting unions and everything mm -hmm. um, than anyone in the private sector is like leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. um, so like some centering policy around like public sector uh, and employees of the public sector that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's 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 one pathway to explore to because if we if we're going to go on the route of more housing, which the city has to do, how do we ensure it goes to the people that you know make our city great? Yeah. Um, so. So you you fell in love, you, you got married, you had I a kid. I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh and you ran away to Berkeley. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the uh traditional migratory patterns of <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so common. <laughs> you know me, just basic over here. <laughs> um so so you when did you leave San Francisco? What year was it? Was it, it was last, last year? Yeah, last year. Yeah. And you and your wife and son now live in Berkeley, right? Yeah, it was it was really sad for me. I didn't want to go. Um, <laughs> my wife and I thought about it so much. We were looking at uh, we were like real estate shopping, and mm -hmm. I like dragged her to all these places in San Francisco, and she like actually started crying. She just like was so messed up just trying to imagine living here. She just hated it so much. She grew up in Santa Cruz County, and it's just mm -hmm. like not a city person, and it was just so sad for me because like San Francisco uh, really has this feeling of home for me that is really important to me and I didn't really have for a long time since I left Hawaii um, you know and I, it kind of like became this place that has these like you know enough layers of memory and emotion that you get to like okay this is home now mm -hmm. and uh, and <laughs> I broke my rule about uh not crossing the bridge to go on a date and look what happened man yeah. look what happened yeah yeah well yeah I it's mean, great no i have no regrets but um it was it was that was really sad for me to like uh to um to to uh to move across the uh move into the east bay um i mean love berkeley so much great stuff there mm -hmm. beautiful uh uh, beautiful garden, such a great garden culture. Mm -hmm. Love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Well, the um, I mean that is that is a very common thing. People come here, they start a career, they fall in love, they have kids. The conversation around you know raising a family kind of takes people to various parts of the East Bay. Mm -hmm. Um. So, uh, but but you you've been you've been a person that's built things right, mm -hmm. and now you have this family that like you know need your love and attention and, yeah but i know that itch to build is still in you so, oh yeah so in broad strokes like what, what's next for sean 
Oh, well, um, I, uh, I had like a seven year long list of projects and businesses that I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I quit my, I quit, uh, my job at Galvanize in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then I basically decided to go into something to do with like sustainability, climate ecosystem, like something. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to start with a study period. I don't really know too much about that, uh, field. It's not, it's not a field. It's not a field. It's like, 70 fields it's like mm. how does the planet work but mm. uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna try and learn what i can for a few months and then uh see where it takes me but yeah that's where i'm headed i'm gonna join or start some organization um maybe a nonprofit or maybe a company uh you know i'll just see what happens um but i'm just oriented around like trying to like ha- not uh, trying to see a, a slowdown and stop of like all the damage that we're seeing to the environment and you know the rate that we're losing species and biodiversity and the like real credible risk to uh, just major devastation in our lifetime and in, in my son's lifetime like mm-hmm. uh, what's already happening now with like all these wildfires all these like you know Katrina Katrina was the fifth or fourth um, category five hurricane in the season, which was the first time that had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the, that was the first time that we had so many of those big hurricanes in one season right. since we invented what a class five is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, like nobody can say if any one fire or hurricane or whatever is because of climate, but like all that kind of thing is what's happening. And it, you know, it doesn't take a lot of science to see that that's different now than, even when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually that, that touches on um, what I want to get into and how I want to close out our time together, because when everyone comes, I always ask them about leadership and legacy. And so um, you've had a lot of ups and downs in your business career, a lot of starts and stops. You've involved a lot of people, like you've built a network through the businesses that you started. Do you have any guiding principles when it comes to leadership? (laughs) <laughs> i think probably my eyes are telling you I, I i don't have an answer for that question right away uh what are guiding principles for leadership um i mean my motivation from my heart and from this is like really my starting point is just i really just love i, I just really just love people and i love that life happened on this planet it's just so beautiful and amazing right mm-hmm. like just out of nowhere and just a, like a bunch of rocks and ice like mm-hmm. boom suddenly you have all these trees and all this like all these wild humans with their antics all right uh, i love it and i just like i, I just want to be uh i just want to be a partner i want to help out uh and um and i care about i care about what's good for people and uh and my environment and i care about uh i care about uh I feel like a part of my orientation is is checking the math and like trying to trying to double double check like okay is this working is this like what's the return on this effort here like is this does this make sense you know like uh, and uh, and I think another basic operating principle of mine is just 
incredible sheer optimism. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, it, and I think that's kind of my MO, right? Like that's how I operate. And, uh, and I don't know if those are good principles for leadership, but that's, that's my way of doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they've, they've gotten you to this point and, uh, you know, I think that everyone has contributed. I, I ask people that have actually, that, that have built things because I think all those perspectives, you know, um, have, have evidence behind them around the things that they built. Right. Yeah. And so the, the last thing is legacy. Uh, so you, you've met my grandmother, I think I wanted to get this. Yeah. And so, uh, I started my company named that her father, uh, it's the Luther Harris holding company. Oh, okay. And, um, he came up to San Francisco with like a sixth grade education. He worked for Muni for a time. He built a life here for uh, himself and all of his children. And, uh, you know, his legacy is important to me. Like yeah. his legacy informs how I think about my legacy. This is his dictionary. That's <laughs> such a cool artifact to have a Luther's. Wow. <laughs> look at that. Look at that tome. Look at that. Look at how weighty that is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh-huh. And these are his wife's chairs. We're sitting on his wife's oh, chairs. Oh, we're sitting at his wife's chairs. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you, you needed to stay in that chair. Okay. All right. All right. And so uh, these are representations of their legacy. Like, how do you think about your legacy? Uh, not, not to not to just like throw away what you like what's important to you but i really don't think about legacy very much uh-huh. uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just sort of like um you know kind of like when i, I i'm gardening now because i live because i moved to berkeley uh-huh. <laughs> and i'm basic <laughs> so you know i gotta uh-huh. um and i like my the plants are gonna remember me uh-huh. they don't care about me uh-huh. that's fine that's not why i do it you know i just like this one i like it when it grows up and thrives you know mm-hmm. um i had the i had a really sad thing happen in my life last year my dad passed away um mm. and mm. uh and it was i had this really vivid dream of him like a couple nights ago and it, it, what was and i can't even remember anything about it like what happened but um uh it, it was just his presence you know and i guess that's coming to mind for me because that's kind of like what legacy is like for, like for me. It's just like, we're here for such, such a brief time and we'll live on through the people who have really strong memories of us. But, um, you know, what, what, uh, what's really happening is, is you give, you, you give it to the next generation. You, you know, the, the world belongs to the next generation and maybe one generation, maybe, five if you're luther or maybe 20 if you're luther i don't know like one day you'll be uh passed from memory and you know you'll live on in these little strains of what you uh helped to shape in the world but um i don't really think about it as legacy exactly in the sense of like being remembered per se well thank you for that your time sharing your story um always a pleasure to hang out with you yeah man you're the homie you're the homie (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> peace, peace. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. I'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to our guest, Sean Drouse, for telling his story about Hack Reactor. We weaved in and out of various other ventures that he's involved in. The founding of Mission Bit is directly connected to what he built. 
And I think it's a great reminder that, you know, what we go out and produce in the world has ripple effects. And so if you've been thinking about that thing you want to start, I hope you go out and do it. I hope 2020 is the year that you make that happen and that as you do it, you can also let us know how you're changing your Monday morning in order to do that. I'd also like to thank the people that made this podcast possible. I'd like to thank our videographer and producer, David Topete. I'd also like to thank Fernando and Cinco Marquez for editing the newsletter. I'd also like to thank everyone that has been sharing and subscribing to the newsletter. We've been on this journey to get to 2020 subscribers by April 30th of 2020. You all have been inching us closer day by day, and I am truly grateful. This podcast is also for, and I also want to appreciate all the people that make San Francisco the beautiful, incredible place it is. They are our teachers, our school lunch workers, our first responders, the people that keep our streets clean, people that pick up our trash, people that drive our buses. Uh, you make San Francisco a beacon and you help it keep moving. Thank you. I'm your biggest fan. This podcast is for you. It's for everyone that is changing their Monday mornings, that's improving themselves and their communities. They live in cities like LA, Houston, Dallas, New Orleans, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Detroit. Keep going, keep building, and thank you. Please connect with me. If you have any questions or any feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Stevon Cook. If you uh, own a business and you're interested in any uh, consulting support to help grow your business, I uh, started a company called the Luther Harris Holding Company. We help companies with brand awareness, strategic advising, community engagement. I would love to sit down and talk to you about what your aspirations are, how we can work together to accomplish that. You can reach out to me via email, info at Stevon Cook to get that conversation started. Please keep tuning in. Please keep reaching out. Peace, peace, and we out.